Discover BetMGM, the betting app sports fans in the Capital Region turn to for nonstop action all winter long. Take the excitement of football, basketball, and hockey to the next level with same-game parlays, exclusive signature bets, odds boost promos, and much more. Plus, now you can sign in, place bets, and manage your cash balance under the same BetMGM account in D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. With the same username and password throughout the DMV, it's never been easier to play with the king of sportsbooks. Download the BetMGM app today. BetMGM is an authorized gaming partner of the NBA and an official sports betting partner of the NHL. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly and offer resources to help you make appropriate choices. Please gamble responsibly. BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Washington, D.C. only. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. This is Holly Fry from Stuff You Missed in History Class. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV, like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander. With seating for up to eight passengers and available panoramic moonroof, you can sit back and enjoy the wide-open views with the whole family. Check out more national sales event deals when you visit buyatoyota.com. Let's go places. You're ready for a comeback. And with Purdue Global, you can do more than take classes. You can take charge of your story, of your career, of your life. Earn a degree you can be proud of and get an education employers respect. It's time, your time, not just to go back to school, but to come back and move forward with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback at purdueglobal.edu. CNN Underscore's Guide to Sleep has tons of recommendations for products that can help you get the best night's sleep ever. All right, let's face it. Most of us have had trouble falling or staying asleep at some point. And there are a lot of products and hacks claiming to be the solution to our sleepless nights. That's why the CNN Underscore team spend hundreds of hours testing products to find the ones that can make a huge difference in the quality of your slumber. Visit underscore.com now for our ultimate guide to getting better sleep. And we continue with our American stories. Former Olympic gold medalist Tyler Hamilton rocked the world of professional cycling and exposed the doping culture surrounding the sport and its most iconic rider, Lance Armstrong. As one of the world's top-ranked cyclists and a member of Lance Armstrong's inner circle, Hamilton has quite an amazing story of his own and is here to share it with us. Let's take a listen. My name's Tyler Hamilton. I live here in Missoula, Montana. Grew up in Marblehead, Massachusetts. Great family. Uh, older brother, older sister. Loved the outdoors and... Love to spend time out in nature. First uh, was my love for skiing that kind of got me excited being outdoors and became a ski racer. Uh, after an accident with the University of Colorado ski team, I uh, broke my back and then started my cycling career kind of by accident. It happened fast. I was a bit of a late bloomer in cycling, but you know I had a, I've, I've always had like a high pain threshold, and I think I, I think I was born born with it. 
I don't know, my parents are tough, my grandparents were tough. And so I think that was the biggest asset that I had as a, as a bike racer, just, you know, that never give up mentality and just, you know, don't listen to the pain. Growing up in Marblehead, Massachusetts in, in the 70s was pretty awesome. I was born in 71. And... Yeah, I mean, my, my parents didn't really put many demands on my brother or sister or I at all, you know? I mean, they, they liked us trying to do well in school and working hard. And they liked us competing in sports if, if we were interested in it. But um, whether or not we were successful in sports, it didn't matter, it didn't matter. You know, the most important thing for them was, you know, being honest, being a good sport, and just being, you know, transparent. Um, my dad said if we did have a family crest, it would probably be, you know, honesty. And uh, yeah, I got in trouble here and there, but it was, I got in a lot of trouble when I was dishonest. A lot of trouble. It was really exciting to get my first pro contract. I signed it in what, the fall of 1994. It was the, uh, the original postal team. It was under a different title sponsor then, but it was the original US postal team. And it was under the sponsor of uh, Montgomery Bell. The next year, 1996, it became the US postal team. I thought I had no business, you know, racing professionally, but obviously people believed in me and I got a call from Tom Weissel, the head of Montgomery Securities and the leader of the team. Yeah, he offered me a contract. It was, I think it was $30,000 back then. And, at the time when he made the phone call, I was painting my neighbor's house to make extra money to just make ends meet. And I thought it was just going to be, you know, one year, maybe two years of doing this. And then I'd finish up college and get a real job and do the nine to five thing. But next thing I know, I'm on the start line in the Tour de France, which I thought was way beyond anything that I could possibly do. Fast forward two years from there, we're trying to win the Tour de France. And that was, that was with Lance Armstrong. That was in 99. But yeah, I mean, we were kind of the bad news bears of, of cycling in the early years, 97, 98, even 99 when Lance won. You know, we were a, a small budget team. I mean, most teams have big bus, big shiny buses. We had like two rented little campers which stuffed all nine riders into both of those and staff members. And won again in 2000, won again in 2001 and with Lance. And then at that point, I was, I felt like I could see myself in the same role I could look back three years and look ahead three years and see myself doing the same exact thing, which was being like a domestique, a workhorse for Lance in the tour. So it wasn't a bad thing, but I was sure that if I stayed in that role, I would definitely regret it someday and regret the chance of going off and maybe trying for myself, seeing what I could do. You know, the doping and the sport of cycling, I mean, I remember hearing about it back in probably like 1994 when I was on the U.S. national team. And then first year pro in 1995, I remember hearing a little bit about it, but every once in a while you'd read like a small blurb and it was like doping was happening over in Europe, you know, it didn't, wasn't happening stateside, but I didn't really realize it until I got to the highest ranks in 1997 when we did the Tour de France for the first time. And that's kind of when I kind of gave into it. A team doctor came into my room, uh, we were a few months into the season. We just finished a really difficult five or six day stage race in Southern Spain. I was just like a starfish on the bed, laying on the bed and the team doctor walked in and told me like how proud he was of me, but that I had to start taking care of my body. And you know, that's when it happened. He 
was wearing this fly fishing vest and pulled out a little red egg, egg-shaped capsule. And he's, he told me what it was, and he told me that it was uh, testosterone and then what I needed to do. Yeah. So that's how it started. I didn't want to be, I didn't want to participate in any of that. But I feel like at that level, that was, it was either say yes to it. And at that point, I knew a lot of my teammates were doping. It was a hard decision, but I, but I made the decision really quick. And then I thought about the consequences of it, like almost daily. It was also like he was inviting me into the, onto the, like the A team, basically. You know, it was like the team within the team. Like before that, I felt like I was on the B team, just trying to prove myself. And then all of a sudden, I think the team saw that, that I was talented enough. They believed in me enough, saw that I was hungry enough. And that's when I kind of got invited onto the whatever you could call it. We didn't have an A and B team, but hypothetical A team. And uh, and that was a couple of months away from riding my first Tour de France. And so that's, you know, I was like, okay, I'm being invited onto this team. I need to, to even though I know it's wrong, I need to take this opportunity. So, so it started with the red egg testosterone. And then, I don't know, if a month later, it's, uh, my first injection of EPO, which raises your red blood cell count. But you really wouldn't feel it. You really wouldn't feel anything. It was just a small little you know, prick under your skin. And then, but if you did it consistently, you know, a few times a week over three, four weeks, uh, eventually you'd feel a little bit of a difference. Like, you know, going uphill felt a little bit more comfortable. Riding a little bit faster at, at the same heart rate. And yeah, you could feel the difference. It made it, I mean, out of all the things I did, that was the biggest game changer, 100%. EPO. Yeah, I mean, within cycling, it was a bit of an arms race. I mean, doping was prevalent. I mean, I, at first, I didn't really know how prevalent it was. And, and then I quickly realized, yeah, it wasn't just myself and a few of my teammates on Postal. It was, every team was doing it. It was rampant. And, you know, riders are changing teams on a yearly basis. Directors change teams. Team doctors change teams. So, like, in general, the secrets were out. You know, when I first started doping in 1997, I mean, the teams would travel with it to the races, divvy it up to riders, and then send them home with it in a little, like, care package. So it was very open, wild west days. They weren't worried about getting caught. You know, and then things came, like, kind of cracking down, what, in the 98 season, what, that's when they had the Festina affair. They caught it French team. I think it was at the Belgian border crossing over, and it was one of the, the staff members had a carload of performance-enhancing drugs. Last night, Jean-Marie LeBlanc, the director general of the Tour de France, issued a statement saying that Team Festina, the number one team in the world, has been removed from this year's tour. Now, this comes on the heels of an admission by the lawyer for Bruno Roussel, the team manager, that there was a doping plan in place for the use of performance-enhancing drugs under strict medical supervision. And that's when riders went to jail, people became, became a lot more secretive, People just seemed, seemed like they just became a lot more worried. The EPO test came out, and uh, the team doctors quickly figured out how to beat it and how to still take EPO without getting caught. And that meant uh, like kind of smaller type doses, and maybe a little bit more consistently. Yeah, and then under the skin, it goes through your body, clears through your body quicker if it was, oh no, in the vein instead of under the skin. Yeah, all these little tricks, and like most cyclists wouldn't know this, but like all the doctors knew, and they 
They knew how to beat the test. So like before you even thought about it, there was handing you a cheat sheet, basically. And you're listening to Tyler Hamilton tell a heck of a story about his life in cycling, his family, and so much more, including how doping came to be and how it became just, well, a part of cycling life. I love what he said about his parents and their motto, the family crest, be honest. I got in the most trouble when I wasn't honest. More of Tyler Hamilton's story, his book, The Secret Race, Inside the Hidden World of the Tour de France, Doping, Cover-Ups, and Winning at All Costs. The story continues here on Our American Stories. Discover BetMGM, the betting app sports fans in the Capital Region turn to for nonstop action all winter long. Take the excitement of football, basketball, and hockey to the next level with same-game parlays, exclusive signature bets, odds boost promos, and much more. Plus, now you can sign in, place bets, and manage your cash balance under the same BetMGM account in D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. With the same username and password throughout the DMV, it's never been easier to play with the king of sportsbooks. Download the BetMGM app today. BetMGM is an authorized gaming partner of the NBA and an official sports betting partner of the NHL. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly and offer resources to help you make appropriate choices. Please gamble responsibly. BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Washington, D.C. only. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. This is Holly Fry from Stuff You Missed in History Class. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV, like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain, from the road to the trails. And with plenty of passenger and cargo space, plus available tech like wireless charging, you and your entire crew can stay connected. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander with three spacious rows of seating for up to eight passengers. And with available features, like the panoramic moonroof, you can sit back, enjoy the wide-open views with your whole family. Plus, both RAV4s and Highlanders are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and save on gas. So visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on RAVs, Highlanders, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. That makes us FACET for life now, I guess. (laughs) Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. Smart journalism. Fascinating topics. Words that describe CNN's podcast, The Assignment with Audie Cornish. We are revisiting the public school culture wars. What have we learned from the kids who fought against book bans? We really started the club to get students reading these books. Students have an opinion in this fight, too. How has the war over books sparked a backlash to the so-called parents' rights movement? It's not okay what they're doing, and they're being watched. Listen to The Assignment with Audie Cornish, streaming now on the iHeartRadio app.
And we continue with our American stories and former Olympic gold medalist Tyler Hamilton's story. Let's pick up where we last left off. There were a few times during my career when, yeah, I knew I wasn't clear to take a test. And when they had anti-doping, uh, out-of-competition anti-doping tests, like that's when things became a lot more difficult. One time I remember I was back home in the, my hometown of Marblehead and we got my wife and I at the time got a knock on the door and it was a pretty loud knock and it sounded like the knock you didn't want to hear so instead of opening that door we just hit the deck stayed low and stayed quiet and basically avoided a test you were able to get at the time I think you were able to have two missed tests before you got in trouble being a teammate with Lance was, was uh, I mean, I, I would say it was a challenge. You know, he was he was the boss. He was the unofficial boss of the team. You know, I mean, even he was higher. He was had more power than even our director for sure. So yeah, I mean, that came with consequences. It was just like he was the boss, and you laughed at his jokes. You didn't, you know, you didn't never talked over him, and you tried to sympathize with him when he was having a bad day or when things weren't going great. And, it was, it was stressful because you kind of always had to be in your toes. And, and when you weren't, and you maybe were like, in his eyes, a little bit disrespectful or weren't paying enough attention, then, yeah, things happen sometimes. And it wasn't always the funnest. But yeah, but he also brought a lot of energy to the team. He had tons of energy, for sure. He was always making up, uh, you know, funny sayings. And calling, he called, liked to call a lot of people out, you know, with the exception of himself, maybe. But he called a lot of people out, and, you know, sometimes that was fun, but a lot of times it wasn't, you know, just bullying. And, you know, if a rider went too fast, it was, oh, not normal, panormal, as they would say, not normal, you know, but, but yeah, well, I mean, we were, all, we were all riding too fast at times. Eventually my career, yeah, I believe it was in uh, 2002, 2003, I worked with a doctor by the name of Ufimana Fuentes. We called him Ufe. He was basically my blood doping doctor. He, yeah, extract blood, store it for you, like a lot of other cyclists and athletes, and then reinfuse it back into you when your uh, when your body was depleted. So we'd usually text back and forth. Rarely, rarely would we talk to each other on the phone, but we definitely spoke in code a lot. So you know, to get give a blood bag, you're going to give a present. Sometimes I have a present to give to you. I maybe say that in a text message and. Um, and I do remember this one time I, I, uh, I texted him like, hey, I need, Ufe, I need to give you a bike, meaning meaning a bag of blood, basically. And he took that, literally took that and said, oh, so great. I need a new bike. And um, yeah, I kind of got myself into a little bit of a pigeonhole. And, but you know what? I, I had an extra training bike. I think I believe it was a Cervelo. And yeah, that made its way to Ufe Miana Fuentes. After that, I didn't promise him anything else. Didn't want to say I'm going to give you a car. So yeah, I mean, I've had all sorts of uh, problems with with my teeth due to me grinding down, grinding them down during my career, during painful moments. The first big accident I had where I started grinding severely was uh, in the 2002 Giro d'Italia, bombing down a descent, and uh, the pins on my cassette on the back wheel snapped off, and I. It's basically the same effect as like breaking your chain. So I was sprinting out of a quarter and, and that happened and I went flying over my handlebars, landed on my shoulder and 
I didn't find out till the day after the race ended, you know, two and a half weeks later that I had a, that it broke basically the top of my arm in my, um, in my shoulder socket. So yeah, I spent the rest of the race in a ton of pain, whether it was riding, whether it was on my bike or off the bike or even sleeping, I was grinding my teeth, constantly grinding, grinding, grinding. The same thing happened the next year in the uh, 2003 Tour de France. I crashed on stage one in a mass crash and broke my collarbone. Continued in the race, did the same thing, ground my teeth the whole way. I finished fourth overall and won a stage. That off-season, I went to see the dentist. And, and yeah, that, then I had to have my whole mouth reconstructed, all caps on every tooth. So it's been a process. And actually, in about an hour, I got to go to the dentist to get a new cap replacement. So Sometimes people say, was it worth it to keep going? You know, I got a lot of... A lot of people praised me for keep keeping going in the Tour de France in 03 and it, it seemed like it got a lot of attention back in the United States and uh, and I didn't really realize it until I got back to my hometown of Marblehead, Massachusetts and uh, they had like a huge parade for me and a couple thousand people came out and they gave me the key to the town. Yeah, you know, from the outside it looked really glamorous and, you know, how lucky for me, but, you know, on the inside I was really struggling. And there I was having to like smile and you know speak in front of you know thousands of people there in my hometown. And probably a month later, I was diagnosed with depression at the hot, really at that peak of my career. So I had this relationship with this deviant doctor, Ufimiano Fuentes. He uh, uh, it was the 2004 Tour de France. You know, he texts back and forth, arranged the meeting where he's going to drop off a blood bag and. I'm going to infuse a, you know, a bag of my blood that I'd, you know, given to him maybe a month or two before. And they came to my hotel room. I got the infu blood infusion. And then probably about an hour later, I started feeling kind of hot, feverish. And then I went to the bathroom and I went to, um, I looked down and my urine was, was like black, like filled with like dead red blood cells. So. Uh, that was kind of a scary moment for me. You know, I didn't know, I didn't know what was, I, I figured right away, like, oh, it was, a, they gave me a, my blood bag had gone bad. It probably had gotten too warm or it had been affected. And, the, you know, the blood cells had died and then it was reinfused into me. So it was, uh, I mean, I was lucky I didn't die really. And I continued on the race, but it was, uh, it was definitely an eye-opening moment. Like, you know, the, the system we were in was certainly not perfect. Uh, you know, another time I was, after I basically gave a bag of blood, I was rushing out of the Madrid airport where Ufignano Fuentes lived. And I was heading back to my home in, in Girona, Spain. And I was in, really rushed to, to catch a flight. And I donated a bag of blood. It's a big needle that they put in. And then, you know, I quickly held pressure on my arm for a few seconds, but then I had to go. I had to go to catch my flight. And so... I ran out to the street, was hailing a cab with one arm, and then I looked down and saw the arm that had just, you know, given the blood, like it was, my my sleeve was completely red. So, you know, the the hole from the extraction needle hadn't closed. And, but there I was, you know, like, you know, on a busy street in Madrid, you know, in one hand, I'm like holding a cell phone with like code names and numbers. The other hand's covered in blood, and you know, 
It was another it was another moment where I'm like, what am I doing? This is crazy. This is crazy. And you're listening to Tyler Hamilton tell one heck of a story. The secret race inside the hidden world of the Tour de France, doping, cover-ups, and winning at all costs. It's available at Amazon and all the usual suspects. My goodness, the life of living with these anti-doping tests, the regimes that got set up, the protocols, the daily practices, that knock on the door at home with his wife where he just ducked for cover. And of course, what it was like to work for someone who would drive you to this the way Lance Armstrong did. And the way everybody did, frankly, can't blame Lance for the anti-doping machine. You can blame the industry itself. And then, of course, that recirculation of his own blood and calling the bags bikes. He had secret code words and then blood infusions. And it's so bizarre, so bizarre. And one day he wakes up and he's wondering, how did I get into this? And by the way, it's happened to all of us at some point in our life, more than likely. Something you didn't want to do, you ended up doing. When we come back, more of the story of Tyler Hamilton, former Olympic gold medalist, here on Our American Stories. Discover BetMGM, the betting app sports fans in the Capital Region turn to for nonstop action all winter long. Take the excitement of football, basketball, and hockey to the next level with same-game parlays, exclusive signature bets, odds boost promos, and much more. Plus, now you can sign in, place bets, and manage your cash balance under the same BetMGM account in D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. With the same username and password throughout the DMV, it's never been easier to play with the king of sportsbooks. Download the BetMGM app today. BetMGM is an authorized gaming partner of the NBA and an official sports betting partner of the NHL. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly and offer resources to help you make appropriate choices. Please gamble responsibly. BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Washington, D.C. only. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. This is Tracy V. Wilson from Stuff You Missed in History Class. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get anywhere you need to go. And with available features like heated seats and a multimedia touchscreen, you can stay connected in comfort and style. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle. From the hip and agile sedan to the sporty hatchback, there's a dependable Corolla built just for you. Plus, both Camrys and Corollas are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and affordably. So visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on Camrys, Corollas, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. That makes us FACET for life now, I guess. (laughs) Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. 
Martha Stewart, the original influencer. When I think about anything, I think about the way that she did it first. The media mogul. The six years ahead, she saw what was coming. The prisoner, the rise, the fall, and the reinvention of an American icon. Once Martha paved the road, everybody else pretty much copied her. A CNN original series, The Many Lives of Martha Stewart, now streaming on Max. And we continue with our American stories and former Olympic gold medalist and teammate of Lance Armstrong, Tyler Hamilton. Let's pick up where we last left off. So let's see, 2004, September 2004, I was in the middle of the tour of Spain, another three-week, they call it Grand Tours, and um, had a positive doping test. My life quickly spiraled at, you know, down, downward very fast and, you know, kicked off the team. Really the cycling world turned, turned that back to me and yeah, went through, yeah, went through divorce, went through just hard, hard, hard times. You know, the heavy blanket, I was, I, I felt like I had a heavy blanket on me almost at all times. Yeah. Tried to make a comeback and that was, you know, my name was now black. I wasn't welcome back to the Peloton. Most teams didn't want me. Riders who I know 100% that doped, you know, wouldn't even talk to me. What got me out of the doldrums was was telling the truth. And that, that was like day one of like my new life. I was uh, received a, a subpoena to come in and answer questions about the U.S. Postal Service cycling team and Lance Armstrong in front of a federal grand jury in Los Angeles. That was in, I believe, 2010. Very few people knew the truth, and there I was in front of, I don't know, 12 jury members, and I, sat, I stood there for like seven hours and told the truth, and when I got out of that courtroom, I knew from that moment on, like, the truth is my way forward. So it felt so good to tell the truth, and, you know, from the very beginning to the very end. And that's kind of where it started for me. Like, when I exited that court, I walked outside and I felt like I just shed like a hundred pounds, hundred pound backpack gone. Just felt free, not not completely free. I knew that I knew there was a lot of work to be done, but I was like, all right, this was you know day day one of the rest of my life. Um, so yeah, what was this? 2011. It was in the middle of this federal investigation. They were investigating the U.S. Postal Service cycling team, and they were also investigating Lance Armstrong. I was living in Boulder, Colorado at the time, and uh, I was invited to do a charity event up in Aspen. So my uh, my colleague Jim Capra and I drove up there together, and on our way up, I do remember him like, hey, I'm going to just, because he knew Lance lived up there, and there was a big federal investigation going on, and we didn't need to cross paths. So he... I think he Googled what, where Lance was, and turns out he was on a, on a charity ride on the East Coast. So it's great. Okay, we're, you know, smooth sailing. So that night, we're uh, out at dinner with a group of people, maybe 12 people. You know, I got up to use the restroom, I had, and I had to walk through, like, a dimly lit bar area. So on my return from the restroom, just out of nowhere, like, a hand just reaches out and 
stops me in my tracks and I look over and boom, there's Lance Armstrong. Nostrils flaring, you know. You can only flare your nostrils really if you're angry. It's hard to do it, just fake it. So I knew he was pissed. He got right in my face. He had his little posse around him. And uh, yeah, he told me he was going to make my life a living hell and both in the courtroom and out of the courtroom. So, you know, that's called witness intimidation. Uh, You know, I told him, hey, let's go speak outside one-on-one instead of, you know, let's leave your posse here or let me go grab some of my friends and keep, you know, make this even. But he didn't want anything to do with it. I asked him also to go to like a quiet room to speak. He didn't want to do that either, but he just kind of chastised me in front of his his uh his gang so yeah i mean i straight away had to let let the uh federal investigators know and you know but you know unfortunately the the videotape in the restaurant cash cash got got deleted or was broken somehow so none of that none of that really um went anywhere but yeah it was that was the truth that's what happened you know i'm sure today lance probably has you know thought he found out from the owner of the restaurant that I was there and like he came, he flew back from uh, the East Coast and came straight in and, you know, approached me. So, you know, I'm sure today he regrets that. I would think so, but yeah, that wasn't one of his best days. Yeah, it was a weird time. I was living in Boulder then and I mean, I had baseball bats at every doorway. People had their eyes on me. And, and, that, and, that was, and that was confirmed by the FBI. Soon thereafter, um, I got an invitation to speak with 60 Minutes. And that was, uh, you know, everything I said to the, in front of the grand jury was sealed. So the only way, like, it, that, that information would go to the public is if the case continued. And I knew most likely it was going to get shut down just due to, like, who they were investigating. You know, there's a lot of power there. And it did get shut down. But I knew the truth. I had to be open and honest. So still the public didn't know the truth. And so, yeah, I chose to chose to speak to 60 Minutes. And they gave me like a double seg- segment. So like almost 40 minutes worth. And that was really the, my first time telling the whole truth or the part of the truth to the, you know, to the world or anyone who's listening. That's the first time my parents kind of heard the whole truth. You know, I gave them a warning the day before it aired on 60 Minutes. That was the first time I told my parents the truth. So yeah, I, t- I got sat my parents down, my brother and my sister, and yeah, I told them pretty much look, the whole truth from the very beginning to the very end. You know, it was, it was brutal. You know, I don't, that was one of the most difficult things I've ever done. So, but yeah, they forgave me, and they, you know, they understand. Yeah, people make mistakes, and you know, my dad tells me today that he's more proud of me, you know, for what I've done off the bike than on the bike. That still wasn't enough. It was, you know. With commercials and all that, it's like maybe 30, 35 minutes of, of the truth. But there's a lot of a lot of the truth that I still hadn't told. So that's when I decided to write a book. So I got a, I luckily had a great co-writer by the name of Dan Coyle, and we spent almost two and a half years writing a book together. And one of the hardest things I've ever done, but like one of the proudest. You know, I'm really proud of doing that. And it was almost like therapy, really. So yeah, The Secret Race, I wrote a book and back in 2012, uh, won, won awards, sports, sport book awards, and yeah, it was, uh, yeah, I was very surprised, and man, straight away there was so much forgiveness, almost too much, because I went from being the black sheep to like, maybe praised a little bit too much, so I didn't, I struggled with that too, which is kind of weird if you think about it, but 
it, it felt, I just felt a lot lighter and I, and I did feel really bad for Lance. I know he had a lot of deep, dark secrets. I knew he was going to fight to the very end to, you know, keep those secrets from not coming out. And yeah, I felt sympathy for him. He was, he was backed up into a real deep hole, you know, or to the edge of the cliff. And it was like, either tell the truth or, or jump. And I'm glad he told the truth, you know. What he did on Oprah, I thought was great. You know, not not everyone loved it, but I thought those first like ten questions, the first the yes no questions on Oprah when he admitted to his PED use, like I thought that was great. And that, you know, that's all. Sure, people wanted to hear more details, and we didn't get a lot of that. But you know, the big questions were answered, and you know, he doped for a lot of his a lot of his career. You know, like a lot of us, so. Um, and I th- honestly think I'm sure he's a better person today because of it all. Yeah. I'm, I'm certain. Of it. Life's changed a lot for me. And I'm newly married again. Got married in December. Two step, beautiful stepchildren. And then uh, my own, I have my own son about eight months ago. So uh, it's, been, it's been a really great experience. It's, I love being a dad and a stepdad. Let's see, I work for a money manager down in Boulder, Colorado. So love helping people and you know helping people manage their money in a better way so you get a lot of positive feedback and it makes you feel good for sure uh, my wife knows she knows about my past obviously and you know I've told our two stepchildren the ten he's one's ten and one's eight you know they know they know my my past our little guy was eight months you know maybe a few more years for that but people need to hear the story like how Things get a little blurry when you set your mind on a goal and like, but don't get off track. And I got off track and it's, you got to be honest about it and you got to tell the younger generation to make sure that, you know, they don't make a mistake like you did. And a terrific job on the production, editing and storytelling by our own Greg Hengler. And a special thanks to Tyler Hamilton, his book, The Secret Race, Inside the Hidden World of the Tour de France, Doping, Cover-Ups, and winning at all costs. Go to Amazon for the usual suspects and pick up the book. And there he was on that day of that positive doping test. My life spiraled down fast. Kicked off the team, divorced, and I felt like I had a heavy blanket on me. And then came that day where he told the truth. The truth was my way forward. It felt like I had shed a hundred pound backpack. And then I can just picture that meeting with Lance Armstrong and the fury he had is this one person was going to blow the cover on everything. And now, of course, Tyler's married. He's a money manager. And just admitting that life can get blurry when you set a goal, I got off track. Boy, that's any of us. The story of Tyler Hamilton, the story of the pursuit of success, and, of course, the excesses we can commit when doing that here on Our American Stories. Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. That makes us FACET for life now, I guess. (laughs) Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. As someone who lives for politics, when a major scandal unfolds... It was shocking. I have to know, what were they thinking? 
Backroom deals. Huge amounts of money. CIA secrets. Sets off a firestorm in Washington. Affairs. No way this guy's got a mistress. Corruption. I knew I was a dead man. Warning, it's even messier than you thought. United States of Scandal with Jake Tapper, Sunday at 9 on CNN. Welcome to the Scene to Scene podcast. I am your host, Valerie Complex. Today, I am chatting with Ji Young Yu. Ji Young stars as co-lead in the six-part limited series, Expats. I think I learn a little bit with every character that I play. I think usually I play a character and it causes enough introspection that I learn something about myself. I honestly can't gush enough about Freaky Tales. I'm so excited to share it with more people. If you like what you hear, be sure to review, like, and subscribe to the Scene to Scene podcast. Are you looking to step up to a 4K smart TV? One that gives you unparalleled clarity and picture resolution? Then we've got good news for you. Because the Vizio 65-inch V-Series 4K smart TV is now just $348. With all your favorite apps built in, you can stream straight out of the box. You can even sing along to all your favorite music and radio on the iHeartRadio app. Looking for a smaller or bigger screen? Vizio offers unbeatable prices on all V-Series 4K smart TVs. Head to Walmart.com today and score the 4K TV you've been waiting for.